Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hello, welcome to episode 99 of the Andy J Podcast. Now, this is a little bit of a pre-intro to the intro that I'm about to do, because I just wanted to kind of have a little chat to you guys and say thank you for listening. This is a bonus episode. If you heard the episode we've just put out, episode number 98, if you've already heard that with Clive Anderson, then you'll know that one of the things I talked to him about is this incredible performance that he is going to do at the Park Theatre, where he shows up with no rehearsals whatsoever, puts in an earpiece and he's being fed his lines from somebody sitting off stage. And he is one of I think 39 other celebrities are going to be doing this as a fundraising event for Park Theatre. Now there has been a lot of interest. A lot of people I've mentioned this to have asked more and more because it's such a fascinating concept. And so I have decided to bring in the director of that show. He also happens to be the artistic director of the Park Theatre. And moreover, he is the man who came up with the idea of building a theatre in Finsbury Park, raising the funds and actually doing it. Furthermore, he's a friend of mine. I'll say all of this in a little bit as well with him actually on the line. But I just thought this is an opportunity, yes, of course, to to get my friend on the show, which would be lovely. But actually, the reason why I have asked Jez on is because he has this incredible story to tell. There's not many people, I've only met one person out there, who thought, I need to raise some money to build a theatre and to change the world as I know it and the district and the neighbourhood and so on. And that is Jez. It's an amazing story. Also, the whole concept of this brilliant theatrical production that Clive is on and so on is just bonkers. And he's a super imaginative, fascinating fella. So yes, he's not one of our A-list celebrities like we have all the time. There's an episode coming up next week with Harry Hill that I can't wait for you to hear, incidentally. And then I know who the next five or six guests are going to be. And you're going to love them all. They're massive names. But I hope you will stay with us for this episode with Jez Bond because it's absolutely fascinating. I guarantee you, you're going to learn a whole lot about life in the theatre industry, show business, the power of imagination and more and more and more. But the key message, I think, in this episode is determination. So thank you for humouring me. I really appreciate it. I think you will find this very much worth your time. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to a very, very special episode of the Andy J Podcast. Now, if you were listening yesterday to our Clive Anderson special, you will have heard the name mentioned a few times. And especially if you're one of those wonderful people that listens to the very end, you will have heard my sort of five minute monologue about the glory of this man that I'm about to speak to. Also... In one episode's time, episode 100, speaking to the magnificent Harry Hill, he sings this man's praises as well. So let's get to know just who we are talking about. His name's Bond, J. Bond, Jez Bond. I mean, we were were almost there. Hey, Jez. (laughs) 
there you go. What an intro. Well, <laughs> well, look, open disclosure, we have to tell the listeners, because the listeners are my friends now, both of you. I have known Jez for, what, like two decades or more. We are, we're like properly old school friends. We've known each other forever, haven't we? I've never met the guy. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> So if we, you know if we're a bit delightfully lovey with each other, it's because we've known each other forever. So that's why I, I always have to kind of be honest. Most of the time, I've, I've never kind of met the person I'm speaking to. It's always a bit weird interviewing a mate. But I wanted yeah. to tell Jez's story for kind of two reasons. Firstly, because he is remarkable, and I get so many messages from people asking, "How do I get into show business?" And it's not just about being a presenter or being on the radio or doing a pod or whatever. There's lots of people that talk about performing and and various other things so I think Jez is going to be a minefield of incredible information because not many people have decided they want to build a theatre and then they go out and do it so there's that side of things that I really wanted to be able to say but secondly this brilliant show the one we were talking about with Clive Anderson the one we'll be discussing with Harry Hill who done it unrehearsed too is Jez's brainchild and Jez it's over to you what would you like to discuss first the show or the building of the theatre Oh, my goodness. Well, let's talk about the show. Okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's an interesting concept. I, I think it, it's really the, the concept of it that is the unique element because whenever before have you seen a known actor or any actor thrust into a fully rehearsed play where they are the only one that has no idea what's going on? It's almost like, that sort of um, uh, well-known actor's nightmare that they wake up in the middle of the night in a sweat um, and their nightmare has been that they were on stage and they didn't know what they were doing or they didn't know their lines or whatever. Um, obviously, the, the, the difference with this one is you've got an earpiece. So the person off stage, they know your lines and they feed you the lines. But, you know, there's a lot of mayhem that can ensue because you may get fed your line, but you don't even necessarily know always who you're supposed to be speaking to. So it's a, it's a concept that lends itself particularly well to, uh, to comedy. Um, and what we've done is written a, a murder mystery spoof, um, so a sort of Agatha Christie 1930s um, thriller. And the added element of surprise, as I say, is, is that every single performance, a different inspector um, uh, plays the role uh, and we've got uh, uh, people like Clive Anderson and Harry Hill, Emma Thompson, Gillian Anderson, Ronan Keating, Stephen Mangan, David Mitchell, a whole host of people who are very kindly doing this to support us as a charity fundraiser for Park Theatre. It's it's just brilliant. So firstly, the concept is awesome. I mean, having been to the first run, because this is called Who Done It Unrehearsed 2, it's because there was one a couple of years ago, back when theatres were open, before they were closed and all the rest of it. We know what happens in between. But there was the first run, which was terrific fun. And I remember you telling me about it before it, it was a reality. And I just thought it was genius. And I immediately thought, well, let's make a TV show out of it. And we didn't quite manage it. But nonetheless, I thought it was amazing. And I came to watch it and it was everything I was expecting. The madness, the chaos, the hilarity, and that unexpected expected you know you wrote this Jez and you directed it and of course it has this cast that know exactly what's happening at the same cast all night every night except for this main character the grand celebrity who is dropped in with no knowledge of what's happening and it is very much you as the audience member are totally on the side of this celeb because you know they're getting stitched up and it's how they take it in their stride and I've got to say the people you've got they're 
gigantic names. I mean, you listed a few of them and you still missed off massive names like Joanna Lumley and Johnny Vegas and Neil Morrissey and Mark Gattis. You know, the massive, massive names that come up and do this. And the one thing that unites all of them, apart from the fact that they're incredibly famous, is that they're all really, really good sports and they know they're going to get stitched up, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, it's actually, interestingly, you know, we've we've been in a situation for a while, not unlike many, many London theatres that are, that are charities and have to fundraise constantly, where where we um, we rely on, to, to quote Tennessee Williams, we rely on the kindness of strangers. But, you know, we, we rely on the kindness of um, high-profile people in our profession, you know, people like the names we've mentioned who understand that giving back and lending their name to something brings a certain kudos with it. Um, and we've traditionally done a lot of galas where we would have, you know, a, a very uh, starry red carpet arrival and a three-course meal and a band and um, uh, you know, Ian McKellen's hosted most of them and, and, and we'd get, you know, a celebrity on every table. We've had Orlando Bloom and Benedict Cumberbatch and all sorts. And, you know, th- those are great for one night, but actually the amount of organisation that goes into that is phenomenal and it's not what we normally do what we normally do is putting on shows and actually this format works so well for us because a it's it's what what we do every day it's simply putting on a show this one is just slightly higher ticket prices as a fundraiser show and b you're not asking all these wonderful people to turn up and sit uh, with a bunch of strangers hosting a table over dinner for, for three hours you're actually asking them to turn up with no preparation having never seen the script before, just an hour before the show. So they're just giving up one afternoon or one evening of their time and they get to do something that is fun for them as well. Yes, actually, that's one of the things you don't know this yet, Jess, because you you haven't heard my conversations with Harry and Clive. One of the things one of the things that Harry says to me is that he decided to do it on the recommendation of another comedian that had done it last year or well, the last time it was on. I think it was Tim Vine that that said to him, you've got to do it. It, it, it was Tim Vine. I asked a few people um, if they could ask friends and sort of recommend it. And actually, Tim said he'd already mentioned it to Harry because he thought he would love it and said what what great fun it was. And then Harry and I started to work on another show together, just sort of coincidentally. And um, uh, and and so that's how that's happened. But there's there's a few people like that um, that we've got through someone else, um, and that's really good because last time. In 2019, we did 22 performances, and this time we're doing 40 performances. So, you know, we've almost doubled the number of shows. Uh, and actually, there's people kind of calling, going, hey, we'd quite like to do one. So, you know, it's a great position to be in because, you know, when do, do those guys, perhaps more than more than anything, more than people, uh, young people starting out, you know, when do those guys get to essentially play around just have fun, be silly, and do essentially like a two-hour drama game in front of an audience. I love it. And my favourite thing about this, Jez, is that, you know, I remember we were discussing before you had locked down certain celebrities, I offered you some of my kind of celebrity contacts. They're just not famous enough for you. You were like, yeah, yeah, we're okay. We're all right. That's awful, isn't it? It's like celebrity top trump. (laughs) Yeah, but I love... I love how many of them, this is the best thing for me as your mate, I love how many of them just 
think you're the bee's knees as well. You know, they're doing it for the theatre, they're doing it to raise money, they're doing it to keep people going and to keep Park open and so on. But they're also doing it because they've met and are inspired by the crazy force of nature that is Jess Bond. Well, that, that's lovely to know. But as I said, you know, I think they, they are um, wise enough and, and um, sort of humble enough to know that uh, what, what their name brings and, and, and generous enough that, uh, that, that they will do this for free for, for charity. You know, I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. We, we had um, Ian McKellen, um, uh, gosh, when was it? Two, three years, well, no, everything's two years ago, isn't it, with the pandemic? Three to four years ago, before he took his one-man show out on tour, and he was supposed to do 80 shows for his 80th birthday year. And, of course, being Ian, he ended up doing even more than 80 because he didn't say no to people when they wanted him to come and do it as a fundraiser, bless. And, um, but he started that show actually here uh, in an early version, which I worked on with him. And, um, and you know, again, he did that just completely for free to support us. And there is a real uh, understanding, I think, more so than in in places like America, where perhaps the culture of giving is slightly different. The culture of giving in America is that boards give a lot of money and people on boards and you sort of pay to be on a board and there's a lot of philanthrop- uh, philanthropic giving. Um, here, the, uh, board giving is, is not the same at all. There is philanthropic giving, but it's obviously a lot harder. But here, I think, Perhaps because of that, the big names really, really do engage with these fundraisings, uh, um, uh, with these fundraising strategies for us. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, they they, they get the cause, but there's also that carrot of you're going to have a great night, and so are the audience. And that's and that's the other thing to say. Actually, this is it's a great lottery because you and this is your masterstroke. You don't tell anyone who's performing when. Nobody knows who they're going to get. So no, you, bu- you, you buy know, your ticket, you take your chance. You do. And the benefit of that is, well, obviously, you're going to have a great time, whoever it is. And it, and it doesn't actually, we discovered last time, it doesn't actually matter. We didn't have, any, have anyone upset if, you know, the person who you get on your night is, you know, ironically, the one person of the list of 40 that you haven't heard of because you didn't watch those two massive TV series that other people are ogling over. It does, it, it, it never mattered. You, you've never heard of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you know, there are those people. But um, no, it, it, it just never mattered because people just had a great, great time. And actually, because I think, because we don't announce who it is as well, you get people who are just up for a good time. You don't just get... Um, people because they are fans of a particular comedian or, you know, super fans of a, of a particular actor, you get a, a, a broad audience of just people who want a really, really good night out. And that's what we give them. Yeah. No one's, no one's coming along desperate to see Ross Kemp. And when Bradley Walsh walks on the street, out onto the stage, they leave. That doesn't happen. No, it really doesn't. It, it really doesn't at all. Um, it, it's such a, the, the, the whole atmosphere when you walk into the building is, is of, is a real supportive nature, full of joy and entertainment. And I think particularly post-pandemic, just people wanting to have a really good time. I mean, it is it's a bonkers show. And the, the, the irony is, um, Andy, I wish I could tell you more about it, but if anyone's listening, you know, they cannot, and I'm talking about our guest inspectors, you know, they cannot know what's coming up. But let's just say we, we hit them with a few surprises and we take 
even further than we did last time and just push them a little bit more. <laughs> now then, Jess, we've we've kind of talked quite a lot about that. And I know it sounds like a massive plug because it is, because it's raising money for the theatre, but also because it's it's fascinating and different and diverse and quirky and full of cool celebrities. And I'm so proud of you. So that's why we've talked about that. And it's right and proper that we do because, hey, it's my pod and these lovely people that listen week in, week out, they kind of know that I... I champion things from time to time. And this is one of those that absolutely is worth it. Um, but Jez- you know what? Um, it, it might be useful. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just thought on that note, it might be useful just to give a bit of context to, to this fundraising, because I think the the thing that people who aren't in the industry know, and you, you know, this um, is, is just what the mechanics of putting on a show and run, running a building is. And the simple reality is that, you know, we are trying to provide affordable, uh, accessible theatre for all and not charging extortionate prices and not, not charging West End prices. Um, you know, our, our average ticket price is, is about 20 quid across the year, perhaps even a little bit less, and you can certainly come for considerably less. Um, but, you know, that comes at a cost to us, which is that actually we cannot resource our building um, with the income that we get just from those ticket sales or from renting the space. So we have to subsidize that somehow, and we do that through fundraising. Um, and that is exactly the same whether you are like us, a 200 and 100 seat um, theater in Finsbury Park, or whether you're the National Theater or the Donmar or the Almeida, you know, anything uh, outside the commercial West End, that is the reality of it. You know, these, these theaters are not, uh, if you like, sort of um, uh, businesses that, that make sense on paper. And then, you know, the people with a, with a business head say, well, then, you know, you have to charge more for your tickets. But then you think, well, we are a charity and it's not just about the work we do on stage. It's about being affordable and accessible to everyone. It's about people from the local council estate behind us, some of whom uh, young people that have never, ever walked in to see a show or never thought that theatre was for them. And it's about giving them that opportunity, you know, and it, it, that's an opportunity that I'm acutely aware that I had growing up. Uh, and it's an opportunity that a lot of people don't have. And with government cuts, uh, where, you know, drama is hardly being taught anymore on the curriculum even, it's very, very tough. So it comes down to places like us to be able to support our community through drama, through drama classes, through all sorts of activities. We, um, we run a very, very successful group for people with dementia and their carers. And we work with them on drama and we kept that going all through the pandemic and it's been an absolute lifeline. So, you know, it's so much more than just the show that you see in terms of what what we're doing holistically. Hello, it's John Marco here from our sister podcast, The Driven Chat Podcast. Right now, you're listening to The Andy J Podcast and it's quite good, isn't it? In fact, do me a favour, give it a little review, five stars and wherever you're listening, hit that little subscribe or follow button because it does help. See you around. Brilliantly put. Thank you for that. I was about to kind of shift the gear and, and ask you about it. So you've saved mm. me. You've saved me a question and and done it with aplomb. Thank you, my friend. Um, Jez, let's talk about you because, as I say, we've known each other forever. And when we first met, I was dating a young actress who who has gone on to do lovely things, and she knew this cool, quirky, funky director slash playwright, and that was you. And we got introduced, and we had dinner, and we got on like a house on fire, and, and stayed in touch. And we were mates ever since. And it was about three or four of these boozy dinners in 
where we were chatting about life, the universe and everything. And I said, what do you really want to do to you? And you said, I, I really want to build a theatre. And we, <laughs> we came up with this idea that you could do it in a tree house, if I remember rightly. We, we would build it in a massive tree. Now, that bit didn't happen, but the important bit did. You it, see... It, it was treehouse, or or it was the the underwater auditorium, wasn't it? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, where everyone wears scuba masks, and it's it's a whole new thing, which could have yeah. been. It could still shake up theatre in the future, Jess. Who knows? Especially, I am working on that. I think that I think you know, post pandemic, there's a sense that maybe transmission rates through water they could be lower than airborne. So I think there is a business plan here, Andy. <laughs> There we go. Well, look, I mean, that's also with global warming and everything else, you know, maybe it's something if we go really far in the future, if we use the old time machine, maybe that's what's going to happen. But in the here and now, thankfully, the sober you woke up, whatever it was, 15, 17 years ago, and was like, oh, I did. I do want to build a theatre. And Park Theatre, as it is now, is now pretty much near as damn it to the month, nine years old. So tell me how it came about, because it wasn't just coming up with an idea. There was then many years of energy, effort, planning, thought, fundraising and soul searching, I imagine, that got you to that point. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the the journey begins a long time ago. Um, <laughs> tell to tell the, the, the true story, one, one would have to, I suppose, start with what I alluded to earlier with about the the opportunities that I got as a young uh, man, as a boy, you know, when I was a a young teenager, I was very lucky to be able to go to school where we had an incredible theatre. We were encouraged actively to use that theatre, to run the theatre, which doesn't even happen today very often with health and safety and whatnot. But, you know, I'm literally talking about me as a 13, 14-year-old being given the keys, told the National are coming on tour tomorrow on the National Education Tour, um, you know, rig, rig the lights for them, lock up, let them in in the morning, show them the dressing rooms, you know. Um, an incredible sense of responsibility, which I think is one of the key elements of learning. Um and uh, and also a um, father who was extremely supportive, um, like uh, a lot of fathers aren't, uh, a lot of families aren't necessarily about people going into the arts. And, you know, one can understand why it's a very precarious uh, profession and a very difficult, oversaturated profession. But um, my father was uh, essentially a businessman. He was in uh, financial marketing, uh, but he had had this love of theatre since he was a little boy. Um, and was very happy to help enable me to explore that shared passion. And so a mixture of all of those opportunities and being pushed in the right direction and being enabled um, meant that I knew from a very, very young age uh, that not only did I want to be in theatre, not only did I want to specifically be a director, uh, but actually that I wanted to run a building. There was something about the, the magic of sitting at the back of the auditorium after having worked with all the actors and the stage crew and the lighting and set designer and suddenly creating these moments out of nothing, out of, out of words and lights and plugs and sounds and speakers and paint. And then suddenly an audience comes in and, and life is breathed into it and they laugh and they cry and they gasp and you sit there and you think, wow, I've, I've created that or I've seen that be created. That was all of those elements of 
seemingly nothing that came together and beautifully manipulated uh, the emotions of an audience. And, and then when you, when you have a building, you then get to see those same audiences come in uh, day in and day out. And you can nurture those audiences over a season of work and get to know those audiences. And there's a real relationship there to be explored. So, you know, that, that's pretty unique. I'm, I'm well aware for a boy of, I would say, 15 when I, when I knew that. Yes. I mean, that's the thing I find really interesting, Jez, is, is actually at 15, most people that want to go into theatre do it because they want to be an actor. You wanted mm. to be a director. That was the thing. Yes, of course, and owning the building and so on. But that's that effectively came later. You have, you have to crawl before you can walk. You have to start directing before you can own a building and so on, or build a building rather. And it was the fact that you had decided, I want to do directing. It's, it's a very mature choice age 15, because you, you have the ability to act, you know, you are naturally effervescent, you, you carry a room, you, you command attention, you are a natural actor, if you know what I mean, but you chose not to do that, you chose to be a director. Yeah, I think I am to an extent, but when it actually comes to it, I, I, I am perhaps too much of a control freak, and I, and I actually use that of myself knowing that when I say it, um, it's not necessarily a, a particularly negative thing in, in that context, but a sort of control freak that, that wants to be able to see it. I couldn't stand being in a show and not seeing it. I have to be the eyes on the outside and watch it all together. And that probably links directly to that experience I've had at school. As I said, when you're sitting at the back of the auditorium and you, you watch it all come together and you watch the audience's faces and you can't do that in the same way when you're inside the show. Yes, that's, that's a really insightful way of doing it. So, so the kind of the young people that listen to this that say, I want to get into showbiz I, and, and there will be lots especially listening specifically to this episode because i've signposted that this will be theatrical heavy and so on mm. and actually you know there are so many jobs in theater that people don't realize that the people don't that people that visit or don't visit there are so uh, many fascinating sustaining jobs that, that actually you don't have the the risk attached with being an actor you are job to job and some weeks you won't have any jobs and some weeks you'll have all the jobs in the world but there are loads of jobs in the theatre which you can sustain and have a great career and have fascination and light and love and laughter without that risk aren't there absolutely i mean there's also jobs that aren't even theatre specific but you could do a job but do it within a theatre you know for example because we have teams of people here needed to to run uh, I'm not talking necessarily about here. We, we have quite a small small team here, but you know, like the National Theatre, whatever. They will have teams of uh, people in uh, in building maintenance, in uh, HR, in administration. You know, that, that's not even something you need uh, theatrical skill to do. But you can work with your skills in that environment, and then get to uh, get to absorb all that and be part of it and see the shows and everything like that. But equally, as you said, Andy, yes, it's not just acting, um, you can be a, a stage manager, you can be um, a lighting technician, a lighting designer, a sound designer, you can do costume, you can do set painting, set building, um, marketing, you know, is really, really important in this day and age is the PR and marketing. Um, and yeah, you can do that in any sector, but each sector has their specialities. And it's very much about learning the relationships if, if you're in PR or in marketing, kind of learning what the key strategies are and 
understanding audience demographics and things like that. And there's courses you can go on and you can do internships at various theatres. So there, there is absolutely... I, I feel it would probably be fair to say something for everyone in, in, in theatre. Yes, and actually for any age as well, Jez. You know, I know I know there are some older people that have contacted me saying, am I too old to try this? And I'm always like, why? No. If you, no. you know, if, if, Take the risk. Go for it. If you if that's what you's really calling you, you don't... It's it's not the case, Jez, that someone has to be 17, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed and, and with kind of no knowledge of risk to get a job with you or or with a theatre, is it? No, I mean it, there, there are so many factors, but but certainly um, it's it, no, you, you don't you don't have to be um, fresh-eyed seventeen-year-old. But you, I mean, the key thing is you have to have uh, you have to have a passion. You have to be dedicated and think this is what I really really want to do. And the the thing I say to people if they do want to get into it, particularly if they want to get into acting, is I do explain that um, really if you want to be an actor, then you've got to wake up in the morning with that as the only thing you ever want to do with your life. And you've got to dream it, eat it, sleep it, um, because it's going to be really, really tough. It's hugely oversaturated. You know, for, for every part there is on stage or film or TV, I don't know the stats, but there's, you know, there's hundreds, hundreds, thousands of actors for every one part there is. So it, 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 it can be a very... Um, uh, a very demoralizing position to be in sometimes when you're waiting for the phone to ring, when you, you know, you're trying to get an agent, you finally get a show, you invite people to the show, they don't come. It, you know, it, it can be a really, really hard slog, slog. And let's be aware that there are two other things that are involved in it. One is luck, which you know we've all heard different stories of, of, of people with just luck that they've happened to uh, get a particular job or be seen by a casting director or something like that. And the other one is opportunity, which comes back to what I said before, you know, and, and why we're so keen at Park Theatre to be able to give people opportunities. Because if you haven't had opportunities to um, uh, perhaps do drama when you're young or to have that responsibility to hold on to the keys for a building, you know, then, then you might not have the skills or the confidence or even the inclination to, to really push yourself forward. Yes. Yes, absolutely. It has to be the thing that absolutely drives you. And yes, you've got to, I mean, luck, luck plays a massive part. It's crazy, isn't it, really? But hopefully, if it's what you really want to do, you will be lucky. Jez, you know, we can't go into specifics about how do you go about building a theatre, because firstly, it would take forever. And secondly, you'd be revealing too many trade secrets. But can you just sort of share the highs and lows? What was What was the toughest part about deciding all those years ago, I'm going to build a theatre. God damn it. I'm just going to do it. You know, the toughest part is in common with every single other theatre up and down the country and uh, dare I say the world that has been built. And in fact, any decent scale building project, which is the contractors, you know, that actually was the biggest headache. Um, you know, ra raising the money obviously was uh, <laughs> not without its, its challenges. Um, getting uh, various people on, on board and on side and all, all the stakeholders too. Um, but in some ways, you're at least in control of that journey and you, you sort of set out what your aims and objectives are. But then as soon as you actually start building the thing and it goes into the hands of the main contractors, it can be, uh, I mean, let's just say I haven't heard of a single theatre that has opened on time or on budget. Um, it's just notorious. Um, so that was 
quite a learning curve. And I'm someone who's got a lot of building experience. Um, and I ended up project managing that and being on site every single day. And I've now got a lot more building experience and have done a few other bits and bobs afterwards. But, you know, that that really is, is a huge stress. Um, but the fundraising element was essentially um, enabled by a couple of elements. So um, we created some flats on the upper floors and we said to the council who, who didn't um, have a huge amount of money, they said to help us, um, uh, we said, you know, can we, can we go higher than anyone else on the street and go, go up two stories, put this extension on in steel frame and then create some flats which we would sell off to, to help offset the cost. And they, they said yes, they thought that was a great, a great thing to do and a great way to be able to help us when they couldn't give us any, any hard cash. So we got that through in planning um, and, uh, and they were very supportive then in us getting our license. Um, uh, most importantly, um, one of the most vital relationships was between me and uh, our architect, Dave Hughes. And that was just the perfect marriage. Um, and I do say marriage because I think I, I spent more time for about two years uh, talking and seeing him than I did anyone else in my life. I mean, it, it, he, he was incredibly generous with his time. Um, we were we were very lucky to get him um, uh, because he was someone who had done a lot of um, large-scale, mainly commercial and residential applications, you know, Barclays Homes and things like that. But he'd been at this big company desperately wanting to do something more arty to get his hands on something more creative. And there I was saying, hey, do you want to build a theatre and design it with me? Dreams come true. Yeah, and he he didn't know a huge amount about theatres then um, and wasn't particularly a theatre-goer. But the relationship was this, you know, I, I am an artist, I am a, an artistic director and can lead the vision in, in, in what I want the space to be, what I want the configuration of the auditorium to be. I understand theatre um, and he understands space and how to draw it out and how to map it and how to, how to make it work. Um, and, and one of the first things we did is we went on a tour um, over a number of months. We, we saw, gosh, I cannot remember, but it's going to be at least 50, five zero theatres up and down the country from the newly refurbished uh, uh, Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford, which which refurbishment cost $112.5 million, um, Yeah, yeah, for a refurb, um, to a you know small pub theatre in London and various regional theatres and West End and, and National. And, you know, we saw all these buildings with a particular interest of people who had just built or just refurbed or converted to, to get an understanding particularly of, you know, what those pressures were, what worked, what didn't work, what they would have done differently, um, and put all of that research uh, into into building the best possible new theatre for North London. Yes, and it's it's widely regarded, Jez, the finished product for any of our listeners that haven't been to Park Theatre yet. And like I say, it'll be it's May when you're nine, isn't it? So it's it's the big 10, yeah. it's the 10th birthday next May, May 2023. Oh. I'm can't wait for that that's going to be massive isn't it yeah absolutely yeah have you started planning the party yet or no we, we we've just talked about it that because we've got um <laughs> the next few weeks uh, of huge names coming through the doors and, and it's just uh, it's just absolutely full-on for everyone but that that's the next big thing to look at beyond our, our day-to-day programming is how we're going to celebrate our 10 years 
I want to help with that because I think that'll be incredible fun. But what I was trying to say is, you know, anyone that hasn't been yet, I would thoroughly, thoroughly implore you to get down there because it's an amazing space. And actually it's been a space that is beloved, hasn't it? From from kind of critics to, to punters to, to the, you know, foot patrol on the street. People just love hanging out at Park Theatre. Well, it has been, and it's been lovely to see how much a part of the community that I talked about that we've actually become and how integral to the changes that have happened around here. Um, you know, 15 years ago, five, six years before we, we opened, three, four years before we found the building, um, the the area here was sort of nicknamed Stab Alley. You know, it was like the back end of Finsbury Park Station where no one wanted to come. Cut to now... There's a um, multiplex um, picture house. There's a Gale's Bakery. There's a, there's a little uh, um, other independent boulangerie. There's various restaurants, uh, little cobbled new exit from the, uh, from the tube station, which has been redone, two 21-story towers. Uh, I mean, the whole area has completely changed. And it's important for us to, to also be, be part of that change, but ensure that we are there to accommodate everyone in the area. Yeah. I mean, it's, you've brought the change and it's places evolve. We know that, especially in and around London and, and in cool cities and so on. We know that places that were previously had a bit of a rep have seen a breath of life and things have changed, but in your little neck of the woods in Finsbury Park, that change has been led by you. And it's it's lovely to see every time. I mean, I've obviously been loads and every time I've visited, the area becomes more and more, well, lovely, really. Yeah, it does. It, 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 it is great. And, you know, one thing the pandemic exacerbated was was what highlighted was, was how... Um, um, connected we were to, to the whole of the kind of local um, financial ecosystem, if you like. Uh, when when we closed our doors before restaurants were told that they had to, but theatres had to initially, um, and pulling shows and closing our doors, we walked down the street and all of the restaurants were completely closed. And they were saying, well, that our shutters aren't down, but we just don't don't have anyone. What what's happening with you guys? You know, they're sort of relying on our audiences, and that was quite an eye opener just as to how much that that was the case. Mm. Yes, it, it's it's often the case, isn't it? And it's, you have that pre show meal and everything. It's uh, yeah, you spark a whole load of sub businesses you'd never sort of previously predict. I mean, Jez, you've sort of talked about the challenges just to sort of finish, really, because it's you know, it, this is testament to you. It's, it's, a, it's a, a living achievement that you have done and it's, it's wonderful to see. What is the best thing about being the creative energy behind this brilliant place? Um, I think the best thing about it is how much we've become part of the theatrical landscape. That You know, if, if somebody said to me, 15 years ago, you know, you would, in a few years' time, you would be running a theatre that you will have founded that very quickly within a few years would have garnered four Olivier nominations, a number of West End transfers, and would be talked about in the same light as many theatres that you respect. Um, I, I would have probably gone, really? <laughs> you know, and that, that being a reality, and also working with such a fantastic team, you know, that people here working so hard crazy hours, uh, not, not much money, 
you know, to keep this building going, not just through the pandemic, but on a day-to-day basis. And of course, the, the fantastic good and the great that we have working for us as well. You know, all, all the people I've, I've mentioned coming in, being able to, to call up Simon Callow and say, hey, could you hop on the radio and do this interview? To say, Ian, could you do this uh, dinner for us? You know, it, 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 to have those relationships uh, which I've built up. Um, I, I do have to stand back sometimes and because it ends up feeling just like second nature and just like you just do it off by heart. It's just normal. And I have to sort of stand back and sometimes have these out-of-body experiences where I just go, wow, is, is that really me? Did I just have that with that person? <laughs> yes. And then, and then the flood of exhaustion hits because, oh, yes, it well, is. And I've done all of this without any sleep. Don't you know it? Yes. Well, that's what my wife would say. <laughs> she says, you can do anything, Jez, but at what cost? And it is, is difficult. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You do have to look after yourself because it has taken its toll. You know, that's the other side of it. You know, it is it is shattering. And there are times, of course, like all jobs where it does get the better of you. But yeah, you keep going. Yeah, you do. You, you, you do keep going, but you have to take care of yourself as well. And I'm making sure that at the end of this run of Who Done It Unrehearsed 2, uh, we will be having a nice holiday somewhere because, you know, we've had a couple of sort of trips to see family and things, but just me and my, my uh, wife and daughter, just the three of us to go and sit on a beach for 10 days. You know, that's kind of what we need. We haven't done that for, I'm sure like most people for a few years now. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd like to be there as well, actually, mate. It's uh, the beach would be delightful, wouldn't it? But I mean, Jez, look, I've, I've really enjoyed chatting. It's, it's been way more serious than I was expecting. I thought you and I would take all sorts of naughty tangents and the <laughs> listeners would be like, these two are absolute clowns. We're turning well, them I off. Well, I didn't want to our trip to Amsterdam, I thought we'd keep it, keep it, uh, you know. <laughs> hey, there were lots of other people there just for what, before people start having ideas. There were, there, was, there were 33 other people. It wasn't just the two of us. <laughs> oh, I know. Clean. And then that, I thought I, I stopped myself saying that because that, that would then imply something slightly different. And then I thought, well, I have to say it now, keep it clean. But I don't mean necessarily that. But we, we had uh, uh, lots of fun in Amsterdam. We did lots of very, very, silly things and uh <laughs> <laughs> has, uh, has ever passed with andy it's uh it's, it ain't a party it's like a it's like a, actually andy you'd love who done it to, 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 to be one of our, our guest inspectors ones because like that it's like a big drama game and you are just a big uh you're like a big kid just like me who just wants to have fun and goof around exactly that's i think that's why i love the show so much because it's just it, it's it, it's made for me it's brilliant um jez thank you i've really enjoyed our chat and i more importantly i hope and think the listeners will as well you know i realize there's a bit of pluggy going on because we're talking about the same theater and the same show but actually the depth of knowledge that you've imparted and the fascination of peering behind the curtain of the realities of theater life is is what i think has made this such an interesting conversation Oh, no, absolutely. And very, very happy to chat again. I hope you don't get uh, lots of complaints. Uh, Oh, Park Theatre, they were going on and on and on about Park Theatre for a whole hour. I hate it. (laughs) Well, we warned you at the start. You can always skip on and go back and listen to Clarkson. You know, there you go. That's That's the alternative. Exactly. And what an alternative it is. Yes, to be fair, it's a, it's a terrific listen. Um, Jez, thank you. I've really enjoyed that. And uh, I, I can't wait to come to the show and see it all unfold for myself. I look forward to seeing you here. There's not many tickets left at all. We're pretty much sold out. But if anyone's listening, 
uh, then there's a few. So hop on super quick. Okay, well, there you go, my buddy Jez. I'm really pleased. I thought it was going to get silly. I'll be honest with you, when we were hitting the record button, I thought he and I were going to just be silly and we would have to drop the episode. But he was very serious and very real. And he... uh, well, he treated me like a like an interviewer and he was an interviewee rather than a couple of old mates. And I love him for that because there were some really important messages in his journey and the stories that he was sharing there. And like I have said, I do hear frequently from people asking about getting into showbiz. It's not just people wanting to be presenters or on the radio or cameramen or whatever. And I thought that Jez's story would be insightful and fascinating. And I hope you have really enjoyed it. You have a great week, and what I can tell you is, on Tuesday, the next Tuesday show, here on the Andy J Podcast, will be episode 100. I've already said his name a couple of times now, but it's just because I'm so excited. My super special guest for episode 100 is Harry Hill. Oh yeah! You like the lining, you'll like the episode. Thanks very much for your company. Go well, and I'll catch you on the flip side. The Andy J Podcast. 